1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, The Shape of Work. We are Springworks. And today as a guest, we have uh, Mr. Nishtil Dua, who is the Director of Marketing at Airmeet. Hi, Nishtil. How are you doing today?
0: Thank you for having me
1: over. Uh, Nishtil, before we begin with the podcast, just to set a base for our listeners, we wanted to know a little about your career journey. Can you help us with the same?
0: Sure, I would love to. So a very quick short version, um, I've been an entrepreneur and a marketer uh, for you know the bigger part of the last decade. Uh, I've worked with a bunch of different SaaS companies, primarily B2B tech companies. Uh, my own startup was completely remote work focused, it was called the remote life. And uh, it was a community of individuals who were interested in building a location independent lifestyle for themselves. Uh, we had products, we had services, we had content all geared towards ensuring that you know we are spreading the knowledge about how remote work can be done, how you can how you remotely? How you can build a remote culture? How you can connect with people around the world uh, without having to be located in the same place? Um, a part of that was uh, the Remote Work Summit, which was a virtual conference that we started uh, five years back, and it became, you know, went on to become the world's largest virtual conference dedicated to remote work. Uh, at its peak, it was attracting twelve thousand people who were attending the conference live at any given point of time, and uh, we've had like close to two hundred odd people uh, influencers and speakers and mentors from all sorts of companies, including, uh, Facebook and Shopify and Dell, um, HubSpot, WordPress, Buffer, the works, right. Uh, so all in all, that's, that's, uh, you know, a big part of my remote work focus journey. And, uh, for the last two years, I've been working to build AirMeet from the ground up, uh, leading that entire marketing function at AirMeet. At AirMeet, we ensure that, you know, we are building a super immersive engaging platform, that helps you conduct webinars and events to bring your entire community and your customers closer together, right? So a part of what we do here is to ensure that uh, if you have uh, a large segment of uh, prospects that you're trying to re-engage, accelerate, uh, then the kind of immersive experiences that Aimit offers, it really helps you uh, build that brand authority with them, re-engage them, uh, and move your prospects down the pipeline to make them into customers. Uh, so yes, that's, that's a big part of what I do right now.
1: That is amazing. Thank you for sharing, Nishil. So since we're already talking about, you know, remote and how the pandemic has affected everyone and people are right now going remote, I wanted to talk to you about the practices that we are focusing on right now. You know, post-pandemic workplaces are no longer the traditional cubicles and the office spaces we had. Now the companies, they are going remote. Do you think there will be a position for head of remote first that can come as an addition to any team?
0: 100%. I think uh, it's no longer a question of should it be happening or not. It's already happening to a huge extent. Uh, it's soon going to be one of those things that, that's taken for granted. Uh, companies all the way from you know Facebook slash Meta to startups like Duist uh, to a lot of uh, mid-market and enterprise uh, sector-focused uh, SaaS companies like Miro, a lot of these companies already have a head of remote position in place. And the idea behind that is not just to have... Uh, a a person from people practices to be leading it, but someone to lead it from uh, a leadership perspective as well. It's it's a combination of building the right brand. It's a combination of driving home the identity of a company, but at the same time, ensuring, you know, uh, massive efficiencies uh, and cross-functional collaboration within teams. Uh, That's true because essentially, you know, uh, when the pandemic happened uh, over the last two years, what most companies have done is if they've they've taken their existing in-office co-located culture and they've tried to make it completely virtual, which is not the right way to think about it. You can't take uh, X from a single place and take it to a virtual environment and say, hey, here's how it works. Um, An example of that is when the internet started in the 1990s, the first few websites that came up were actually trying to replicate the exact retail experience. So you could see that some of the earlier websites and earlier apps were designed to look like a bookshelf. Uh, that you're picking a book out of from, but that's not helpful because that's not a very good user experience. Instead, Amazon came along the way and they showed you how really shopping online could really work like. And, you know, for the last 20 years, that's been the dominant way to do it. So if you think of remote culture as here's my office culture, let me do this online. Then you're just, you know, kind of using a stopgap solution. It's just something that you do for the, for the immediate short term gain, but it's not really going to help you in the long run. In the long run, you need to completely break down your existing office culture and build it from the ground up in a remote first fashion. And to do that, you usually need an outsider's perspective because sitting inside the organization and trying to drive efficiencies across the current processes, it becomes very difficult for companies to kind of stop doing what they're doing and do something new. Uh, If you ask any person in the company, no matter whether that's a manager, uh, an individual contributor or a senior leader, uh, hey, you know, whatever you do right now, how about we stop doing that? We leave it all together and we try something new. They would not be very comfortable with doing that, which is why the head of remote position is very, very helpful because it brings a secondary perspective to a combination of things, which is brand identity, people management, and processes across the board.
1: Right. So when we are talking about, you know, the success that a community can build, there was one interview where you had quoted that organizations and products which are able to build a successful community often transform into cults with, you know, loyal following that cannot be brought or acquired easily to replicate by customers or competitors. Can you tell us some of the key metrics an organization should keep in mind when curating such a wholesome culture?
0: Uh, the very first thing is when you're trying to build a community and obsessive amount of focus on metrics is a sure short sure way of failing. So if you think that, you know, let me start building a community with a great culture, but let me first put some metrics in place on how I'm going to evaluate it. It's not going to work out very easily for you. And a simple reason for that is that's how people really work. Uh, people are not numbers. People are a combination of stories and experiences and ideas and goals, right? And you can't really put a number on measuring it. So, for example, you can always come back and say, you know, uh, we have X number of users who pay us Y amount of money, but how much do they really love you? How much do they really care about you? Those are factors that you can try and measure from different metrics, but you cannot always put a defined metric around it. So, the more leaders try to measure community and the more they try to put a metric on, you know, should I measure community growth? Should I measure how much revenue my community makes? Should I measure, you know, uh, how healthy my community really is? The more they try to do it, the more they, they might end up failing in doing that. Uh, instead, there are a couple of other ways that you can think about community. The number one thing is that a community, successful community requires a common sense of identity. They need to feel like they belong together, that they have common passions, common goals, common paths. I'll only join a community if I feel that I can relate to the people who are a part of that community. If I feel that... Their beliefs, my beliefs, their end goals and my end goals are kind of aligned in one with the other. So common sense of identity is the number one thing that that a successful community needs. Number two, it needs to be healthy. And what health really means is how engaging that community really is. How positive the vibes of the feedback within the community really is. Again, you will notice that a lot of these things that I'm talking about right now, they're not accurately measurable through a certain metric, right? Uh, there's all sorts of ways to do this. You can have an NPS score around it. You can do uh, quarterly or half yearly surveys of your community and see you know how much happy they are, what kind of feedback are they giving to you. But more importantly, uh, you need to ensure that there is healthy conversation and engagement going on within the community. Uh, there's also a stage of the community where it becomes self-sufficient. That stage is very important for any community, Reggie, because what it really means is that the community now has taken a life of its own. It no longer requires you the company the brand marketer the community manager to be present in the community people start talking amongst themselves they start creating new new posts new threads new forums they start helping each other community self-support becomes a massive uh, push as well so if if you see uh, you know a part of this community is asking questions about your product and the community itself is answering those questions you don't need a customer success customer support team anymore that's that's a measure of a successful, healthy, engaging community. At the same time, if you're getting constant feedback on what your, your product can do better, how you can do better uh, integrations, better feature development, better uh, you know kind of rollout and activation of these features, if the community is giving you active feedback, that's another sign that they're very involved with what you are doing, right? So there are all sorts of ways that you could probably measure it. But putting a very well-defined revenue sort of a metric to it is not the best approach. You can measure the health through how engaging the community is, how happy they are, how much feedback they're getting, how many queries are they resolving amongst themselves. So if in a month, a thousand questions are asked about your product and they're answered by the community, that's a good amount of uh, savings on your end as well, because those questions were not answered by any of the customer success uh, reps on your side. So I would say, look at it from a soft metric perspective, instead of a very hard revenue metric.
1: Since we're already talking about the engagement and communication among the community, there are companies who want to raise, you know, team communications and engagements as well on a higher level while keeping the business afloat. This has created demand for simpler, cost-effective, dependable solution that can be implemented quickly. Now, in your opinion, what are the key strategies companies could use to keep the remote workforce together and with the same frequency?
0: Keeping people together and keeping them on, uh, it starts and it ends with transparency. It's, It's all about radical transparency. It's easier said than done. It's extremely, extremely difficult for most organizations, most leaders and most managers to implement transparency. Because we all have lots of doubts and questions and, you know, concerns regarding, should I be sharing this publicly or not? If I share this, will it get, get out? And will it go out to I, my competitors? Uh, and, you know, how will this be misread, misunderstood? At the same time, do I need to really talk about this openly? Or should I keep it to myself? A lot of those concerns. But it all starts and it ends with radical transparency. Uh, radical transparency, there are a couple of ways to kind of define it. Number one is over-communicate. Whenever you are in doubt, try and communicate as much as you can. If you're working in a remote environment, you don't always need to be, you know, writing a single line statement. Hey, can you do this? Write a little bit more about it. Explain why you need this done. Explain what, what your thoughts there are. Kind of try and pen down those things. Uh, second is better communication. Uh, so first was over communication, right? Write as much as you can. Give them more information than they deserve uh, or ask for. It's okay if you write an entire paragraph for a simple request because that way you, you're making yourself work number 2 communicate properly what that means is use the right kind of emojis use expressions wherever possible it should not feel like you know you're giving someone a command uh, or you're giving some someone you know uh, uh, a question that that they have to kind of deliberately work on at this point it should feel like a request if it is uh, people should know what kind of a temperament you're coming back from. It should not feel like, you know, your response is an angry response. If it's not, uh, sometimes we just respond in a way that sounds rude to others, but, but just adding a very small smiley and emoji at the end will make it sound like a lot better. Right. So it's no harm, no puns. Uh, it's just a, you know, regular response that I'm giving. So communicate better. So over communicate, communicate better, uh, as much as possible, try and keep your meetings to, to kind of like team building activities and keep the work asynchronous. So you don't need to do work on a meeting, right? That is what burns out a lot of people. If you're doing zoom meetings to get together face-to-face and then do the work somewhere, you're not being as efficient as you can. Why don't you do asynchronous work and then use the team meeting opportunity, uh, to actually build that, build that relationship and transparency, uh, and bring people on the same frequency so for an example of that is, uh, let's say we are working on a project. Uh, my team would create the project document on Google docs or anywhere else. Uh, they would share the link with me. I will add my comments on it at my own time. It could be in the early morning, afternoon, late in the evening, whenever I'm comfortable, I'll add my comments. They will add their comments. We'll have the entire discussion. Once it's all done, we'll then have a joint small meeting. We'll just get over what our learnings were, what our thoughts really are. And then, you know, if you're all good, we'll, we'll get it moving. So instead of taking five meetings to do the same project, we did it asynchronously, which keeps the pressure low on everyone. People don't feel the need to jump on a zoom call every 15, 20 minutes. They don't think that, you know, out of an eight hour work day, I'm spending six hours on zoom calls only. Right? So that's, that's another very good practice. Uh, what more can be done uh, to kind of ensure that the remote workforce comes together is to have a cadence of uh, weekly or monthly one-on-ones check-ins, uh, skip level check-ins as well. So, so that, you know, team members can skip their managers and meet the manager of the manager, right? Uh, that allows for constant feedback to flow in because in a remote environment, you don't know, uh, should I be uh, reaching beyond the manager or not? So have those skip level meetings. Town halls are very important. Have functional town halls and company-wide town halls. So at AEME, we have at least one to two, uh, you know, functional town halls every month and at least one to do company-wide uh, town halls every month that ensures that we we over communicate and we kind of bring everyone together we share the big news right uh, most importantly celebrate wins as much as you can nothing boosts a remote teams morale than celebrating wins together you won a new client it was a big project you delivered something great on the engineering side launched a new feature talk about it openly with your team go out as much as possible and you know share that good news with the team because that that's how you know everyone will feel a lot more involved with what the company is doing
1: that completely makes sense. You know, when we are over communicating, when we are trying to see what the other person is going through, we try to build the company in terms of empathy as well. Now, when we're talking about empathy building at both management and team levels, it is of paramount importance while emotionally securing employees amidst you know rapid changes at the workflows. And uh, this can also help create a culture of trust and ownership what methods when deployed fast and well may lead to powerful outcomes in creating culture of belongingness as per you?
0: Um, lots of initiatives, to be honest. Uh, I've seen some companies get really, really innovative with these things. Uh, I'll just talk about what we do at AMEET and you know, some suggestions from our learnings here. Uh, number one is definitely having uh, you know, company-wide subgroups or sub channels for hobbies and passion interest, and, and you know, things that people are generally interested in. Uh, so that people can engage with each other on something other than work for example we have a book uh, reading club we have uh, you know uh, a pet owners club uh, where people just share their pictures of it with their dogs and their cats uh, we have a personal finance club where people discuss all sorts of things from uh, stock market to ipos and cryptocurrencies in the works uh, we have you know uh, a punjabis in the house club uh, where people get together and just talk about their uh, common interests so we have a poker uh, club as well, uh, where occasionally, you know, uh, at least I think alternate Fridays, there's a poker game that's organized and people join in for that. So that just makes sure that, you know, people are connecting with each other for, for a lot more than just work. Right. So having those subgroups or sub channels is very important. Also it needs to be driven as an activity by, uh, by the people management team, right? It, it won't happen on its own. Secondly is, You know, uh, having constant uh, HR driven surveys and check-ins for uh, employee happiness, employee burnout, mental stress, their growth, their learning, and they're all different, right? Uh, Just about, uh, you know, just I think yesterday evening itself, I received a survey from our HR team, uh, which was dedicatedly focused on uh, employee burnout uh, scenarios, right? So there were very, very specific questions on, you know, do you find enough time? to talk to your family and, you know, engage with them. Do you find enough time to engage in your personal hobbies and interests? Do you feel that you're constantly stressed out about the work? So they were very, very specific questions. And I feel that, you know, an exercise like that brings it out to the forum that, okay, in general, our folks, our people, our team is slightly more, you know, burned out or slightly more stressed out than they should be compared to the last quarter. And what do we do to help fix that, right? So having those constant check-ins, itself make people feel that you know at least you care you care enough to ask whether it gets fixed or not in the secondary conversation right but at least you're checking in and you're asking those kind of questions right Um, a third thing is that you know having a team building allowance of sorts uh, which is given out to managers so that they can have at least one week one per week or you know one per month uh, team activity which is purely you know uh, fun in nature right so for example we have a monthly allowance Uh, the idea is that you know once a month uh, the team gets together for a Friday lunch. Uh, we put like a 30, 45 minute session, uh, where we all order lunch on the house, on the company's bill. And, uh, we just sit down, we, we just chat about random things and, you know, uh, we order pizzas or biranis or whatever anyone's interested in. Right. So monthly team building allowance of sorts kind of just, uh, keeps the things moving in that direction as well. Um, at the same time, I feel for, uh, some companies, uh, again, it's, a, it's a major leadership decision to what extent you want to promote leadership, or uh, transparency, uh, you could have the option of allowing folks to ask questions anonymously. Uh, so we have one, you know, on our Slack, uh, account, we have one channel where anonymous posts are allowed. Uh, it does tend to get misused at times, but more often than not, it allows people to ask very honest, brutal questions and feedback, uh, on things that they would have otherwise, you know, not been able to ask. Uh, so I would say that, you know, even if 20% of the times, that anonymous feature is misused. At least eighty percent of the times, people who ask those questions they feel a lot more relieved because they were not able to ask those questions, uh, you know, directly. And they could use the anonymous feature to ask those questions that are to the leadership. So they could ask questions to any of their managers. They can ask questions uh, to the HR, to the uh, founders, to the to the executives, to the managers, to the leaders, anyone at all, right? So that that anonymous capability, uh, it, it it's very important for people to feel like you know they have. Uh, a place where they can voice out their concerns without any repercussions.
1: Right. It's very important to actually communicate what is going on even for the employees. You know, when you're working, there are something that might bother you. So now as we are entering, you know, the extended era of the remote work, certain challenges have come in the forefront, foremost among which is the issue of the performance evaluation of remote workers. With hybrid working and staggered shift on the rides, organizations need to upgrade the way they evaluate office-based and the remote-based performances. In your view, what are the major challenges that the employers face when evaluating such remote employees and the ways in which they can overcome them?
0: Uh, Performance evaluation is often the biggest concern that most people have, uh, both employees and uh, managers and HR, uh, HR professionals. Uh, Primarily because in an office environment, we often resort to a lot of subjective reasons to give uh, appraisals and performance review. Uh, In in an office location, we see who's more presentable, who's more communicative, uh, who do I see more in my office, who who do I see taking part in a lot of activities. Uh, So, you know, it it creates a a mental bias of sorts. Uh, No matter how much we try to avoid it, it's still there. Somewhere or the other, if you genuinely see and like a person, you are more likely to kind of reward them compared to someone who's probably doing a great job, but is not as visible. Remote work takes it all away. Number one, it makes everything a lot more subject uh, objective, right? It makes everything very much clearly driven by OKRs. That's the number one suggestion I have uh, on this question. Uh, to ensure better performance reviews and appraisals, the company needs to publish its OKRs. The company can no longer say that, you know, let me talk about uh, what you did and what your achievements were. It has to come from the top down. Uh, Leaders need to publish their key objectives. It needs to drill down to each and each key result for each function, for each manager, senior manager, executives and associates. So each person needs to have that top down key result in front of them. That's number one. If people know what they're supposed to be working towards, they're more likely to be able to achieve their goals. And at the same time, their their review process will be a lot uh, easier. Number two, you have to give a lot more weightage compared to the co-located office. You have to give a lot more weightage to communication skills, collaboration skills, personal discipline, motivation, and a cultural fit. It was not as true in the pre-pandemic world as it is now. And a big part of the reason why we say that we are seeing the great resignation and we are seeing lots of uh, people switching roles and there's a massive gap in demand and supply of talent. It's happening because... Earlier, we were still okay with, you know, bringing on board folks who have who have got the functional skills and knowledge, but they may not be great cultural fits, but in the remote first ecosystem, not having a cultural fit will completely destroy your workflow because no matter how amazing you are at your job, if you're not able to communicate your thoughts in an in a, in a remote fashion, if you're not able to collaborate with people without sitting in front of them, if you're not able to have a negotiation or meeting, uh, without having a whiteboard in front of you you're not going to be you know, very successful at your role. At the same time, you might just become a blocker for the rest of the people to, to do their job as well, which is why you know, there's a massive crunch in the market uh, because most companies are now looking to hire not just for functional skills, but also for soft skills, which includes better communication, better collaboration, uh, better discipline, right? Uh, this is no longer a nine to five job. People are not coming at 9 a.m. in the office and leaving at 5 And they're not sitting there the whole day, which ensures that they get the job done. Now they're at home with no uh, visibility to the managers of what they're doing. So companies need to, you know, kind of a uh, acclimatize their managers to the fact and the reality that you do not need to constantly oversee what your employees are doing. You need to kind of have enough trust and give them ownership. But at the same time, you need to hire people who have that sense of ownership. Because if I'm not asking you what you're up to for at least the next seven days, you should still be working on what your key role, key job is. Right. Uh, so those kind of things really make sure that, you know, the, the entire culture is more geared towards the remote first fashion. And it's not really just a office culture that's brought uh, to a virtual platform.
1: That completely makes sense. Uh that was a really insightful session I had with you in still, I'm sure a lot of listeners uh, were able to understand what they need to implement again. And, uh, Thank you so much for joining in for the podcast. And we would love to host more such podcasts with you in the future, Nishil.
0: Same here, Nagita. It was interesting and good chat for sure. Thank you.